going on? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. This is episode 22 of the Matt Bernier Show for Monday, July the 6th, 2020. However you're listening to this thing, thank you for doing so. So many different ways for you to find this podcast. You can find it on YouTube if you are intrigued by watching and, and hearing different things uh, in the search bar. All you need to do is type in Matt Bernier Show. This episode, along with all the other episodes that we have, will populate. Uh, make sure you subscribe to the In The Money channel over there. Please give us a thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever it may be, better or worse. And make sure the bell icon's lit up. That way you get a notification anytime something new is uploaded to the In The Money Media page. You can also listen in sort of your standard podcast forms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, over on Android device, uh, or you can head on over to the InTheMoneyPodcast.com. InTheMoneyPodcast.com, you'll find all the other content. Along with this show, all the other podcasts, all the other write-ups, you name it over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com. So a number of ways for you to digest this medium and find this podcast and all the other shows that we have to offer on In The Money. But please rate, review, and subscribe to all of them. As far as today's show is concerned, uh, it was kind of a hectic weekend for me, running all over the place with the holiday. Hope everyone got through everything safe and sound. Um, not going to do a, a giant dive into many of the races from this past weekend. I will touch on a few of them in the In the Money or Off the Board segment. Uh, we'll do that after we go over the Friday feature. Now, last week introduced the idea of what I'm going to call the Friday feature. Doesn't necessarily mean it's the featured event at whatever track I pick, but it's the race that we're going to talk about for this show. And there was a pretty good sort of reaction to that idea of having all of you, if you are a listener, Certainly if you're a viewer, you already know this, but if you're a listener, if you head on over to the YouTube page, you can leave comments beneath the video player. And the idea for me is to identify a race this upcoming Friday, decide who you think is going to win, leave it in the comment section below. If your horse wins, I'm going to contact you and see if you want to hop on the show and uh, riff with me for a little bit. And really, you'll be the one doing the handicapping, but I think it's a good way to get everyone engaged, get everyone involved and share different ideas and different thoughts and things like that. So brought that up this past Friday, uh, Todd Van Dree was the winner. There were a few people that had the winner, but Todd's name was the one I pulled as far as the random generator was concerned. So he was uh, nice enough to come on and, and shoot the breeze with me for this week's Friday feature. For those of you that are interested in playing, it's going to be Belmont's eighth race which is not technically the featured event of the day, but given the weather, given the field size, I believe there are 11 horses that are scheduled to go. Uh, there was a couple of entry in there, but Belmont Race 8 is going to be the Friday feature for this week. If you want to get involved and you want to come on and shoot the breeze with me, ask questions, talk about the race, obviously you've got to talk about the race because that's what you're coming on for. And it, it's We want to know more about how you go through and do things. Uh, leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. I brought up in the interview with Todd, there's a coupled entry. you got to make a pick of one or the other. I'm not going to give you both. So if you like I Love Jackson or you like Twisted Tom, that's fine, but you need to select one of them. I'm not going to give you credit for having the other side of the entry if the other piece bails you out. It's not a paramutual situation here. Pick whichever horse you think is going to win the race, Leave it in the comment section beneath the video player on YouTube. And if your horse wins, I'll contact you and we'll come on for the following Monday and we'll shoot the breeze for a bit. So uh, why don't we start with that before I go into anything else? Uh, there won't be an updated pick history this week. Again, I've just been running around like a chicken with my head cut off. Um, 
I just haven't had time to really get down and do the numbers. I will say last week, not a great week. Uh, I don't think there was anything particularly impressive as far as wins were concerned. Had a number of horses at decent prices run second and third, but couldn't quite get there. So no updated pick history. I will come back after the piece with Todd Van Dree, uh, and we will discuss the In the Money Off the Board segment, which will also tie in with some of the races from this past weekend, and we'll dive into a little bit of Q&A. So without further ado, the Friday feature for this week, Belmont Race 8. Here is last week's winner, Todd Vandry. Let's call this the Friday feature. That'll be sort of the the term going forward for what this segment is. It may not actually be the featured event of the day of whatever track it ends up being, but we'll call it the Friday feature. And the first week that we kind of opened this thing up, uh, Todd Vandry was the winner. He's correctly selected. I'll handle the cash and... There were a few folks that did pick the winner, but randomly I went through and just kind of pulled out the the random number generator. And Todd, you happened to be the one that came up. Uh, Thanks first for kind of getting involved and getting this thing off the ground because without you guys, the listeners, viewers, anybody else that wants to get involved, this thing doesn't really roll. So thank you for doing that. Where can we follow you on Twitter? Um, Yeah, no, thanks, Matt, for that. I mean, great idea, first thing. Uh, Love the idea. Um, I'm at mfate9. So okay, M-Fate just want to get everybody out there so you know that, at mfate9. You can follow Todd on there. Uh, before we dive into the race, and for, again, anybody looking to play this coming week, the race this week is going to be Belmont Race 8. Uh, it's not technically the feature, but it's a big full field. There's 11 scheduled to go, and I'm trying to... Todd, I don't know. I mean, I'll appreciate any kind of feedback. I'm looking at it from a standpoint of the weather looks like it's supposed to be okay in New York. I could have picked some other races, but there were shorter fields. And in this race, I think it's a pretty interesting race. It's the state-bred N2X going a mile on the main track. So we can dive into that in a bit. I mean, is there a specific sort of style of racing that you're intrigued with that you like more than others? And and I guess more of a general overview question for everybody listening and, and uh, watching. How did you get involved in racing? What's sort of your background? Um, well, pretty much like most people, my dad. <laughs> so it seems like it's a common theme, right? It's either uncle or dad or something like that. And uh, yeah, so my dad and I, we basically we started out in harness, actually. Um, grew up in Michigan on the west side, and we had a track that was uh, about 45 minutes away, Muskegon Racecourse. So that's where really started. I remember the very first race I went to was at uh, La Boy Park, I guess you call it. We call it Les Boise Park <laughs> in Boise. But I was about 10. We, we went to see my uncle out there. We took uh, Amtrak all the way across. And I, I remember we went there, you know, went to, that was Thoroughbred. And it was just so magical, you know, just the numbers and that little half sheet program, you know, that they would have. And uh, so that was my first experience. But Harness is where we really, uh, you know, started getting into it. And I I feel like there are a lot of people that kind of have those different backgrounds and they get introduced to the thoroughbred side of things, not necessarily in the order I think that many people would assume. Like you say, whether it is harness, whether it's greyhound, whether it's quarter horses, and you just sort of make that transition organically, taking a look at some thoroughbred stuff. Todd, where are you based? I'm based in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Okay, so uh, unfortunately, we just saw the the whole situation with Lone Star, where they're they're closed up for a little while. Uh, Hopefully, everyone is healthy and happy down in your neck of the woods. Um, From a racing standpoint and from a race sort of handicapping standpoint, 
what do you use for products to go about your handicapping process? What is the process? Are you a pace sort of player? Are you class? Are you speed? Are you all the above? Um, well, I'm kind of stuck in the dinosaur age, I feel, with uh, Brisnet. <laughs> so I'm still using that. I'm trying to, uh, to you know, add in some of the other ones. Uh, Timeform is one I'm really interested in. Um, but pretty much Brisnet, and it, it kind of stemmed from you'd get free PPs when you, you know, use Twin Spires. Yep. And there was a time in Texas where we actually could use Twin Spires for any track outside of Texas. But then they clamp down everything and now we have no ADW for years and years here but uh, so that's what I use um, but I'm basically a pace trip handicapper I mean I think it kind of I think it stems from the harness days actually because in harness I mean it's all about the trip if you're caught if you're parked three wide forget about it right yeah. so uh, and so I think that's where where it comes from um, so that's that's my usual style I look to see how I think the race is going to set up who it's going to set up for best, and then who's going to work out the best trip. And I think that's, you know, uh, my friend Jonathan Kinchin was was someone who has always talked about sort of looking at the race from not necessarily who you think the best horse is or in post-position order or anything like that. He'll go through and look at it from a pace standpoint and say, who's going to make the front and let me go from there. And I think just inherently with American racing, especially on dirt, Dirt races are typically won with horses that are a little bit more forwardly placed. We saw that with Vacoma setting decent enough fractions there in the Met Mile. And I, I just think it's an interesting way to go about it. And, and it's for anyone that's new to the game, I would strongly encourage you to take a look at the pace before anything else. Because the, that old adage is true. Pace makes the race. If there's no pace, it's very, very difficult for anybody coming from the back. And conversely, even if there's a barbecue up front, Still beneficial to be forwardly placed, but at least it, it enables some of the horses trying to rally from off the off the pace a little bit and come from the back of the pack. Speaking of pace, speaking of potential running styles, let's dive into the eighth race at Belmont on Friday. Again, for those of you listening or watching, that's going to be the race that you'll need to make a selection on if you want to try to be in the position that Todd is next week. And who knows, maybe it'll be Todd again next Monday that we'll be talking <laughs> to. Um, let's take a look at this one here. Uh, State bred N2X, one-turn mile. It's a race that I haven't done a great deal of work on, but to be honest, this segment's not really about me. This is about hearing all of you and what your process and your thoughts are. If there's anything that I've, I'm curious about, I'll probably just butt in with the question here, but I'm going to kind of throw the ball in your court and say, uh, fire away. All right. Well, awesome. Well, I don't think you could have picked a more contentious race. It was, <laughs> I went through this and I'm like, come on, really? Like, I mean, well, you know, I got to be honest, like that's part of the, I kind of, it would be fine, you know, if there's a graded stakes race and there's only six or seven horses. But I think from a gambling standpoint, these are the type of races that, that people will gravitate to because even if the favorite does win in all likelihood, I would imagine the favorite's probably going to be in that sort of 8-5, to 9-5 to five range, and I would assume it's going to be the horse breaking from the far outside in our last buck, but I'm not entirely sure of that just yet. We have no morning lines yet, no program numbers yeah. and things like that, but uh, continue on. Like you said, it's a very wide open race. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can make a case for nearly all of them, I think. And I certainly, yeah, the morning line thing is, I know that that's not a be-all, end-all, but sure gives you a nice little indicator, and, and I hope you're off off base on that 11 <laughs> <laughs> being the favorite yeah 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 exactly but uh yeah with this one yeah there's definitely um pace making the race i think and that maybe is why it's helping the 11 out um i think there's a 
quite a bit of speed, potential speed. I see it as a three or four horse um, going out for the lead, you know, and it could turn into a duel. I really do like the one, uh, even though it, you know, has some connotations to maybe some of your, your football team there, but, <laughs> um, but I really like last races, uh, not the last races. I'm sorry. If you, it looks like the last races of last year, there was different things going on, but not that Brady. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think now if you go back maybe four, five, six deep back in the spring and summer of last year, that's where he was He was in his element, you know, was there at a mile, maybe a mile and a, and, and a 16th, but was really putting up some fast fractions against quality, quality group there. And so I look to see him in the four-year-old debut, you know, looking for improvement there. And I think he could be at a speed. So from a running style standpoint, like you say, this is a horse that's shown some speed in the past and, and breaking from the inside off the layoff, you would assume the horse is going to be fresh and ready to go. And I mean, I don't know if you agree or disagree. When I look at a horse like Not That Brady, the races from a speed figure standpoint, there are races to be had where this one is good enough to win. I can't help but think that the five pound apprentice has to send from the inside. Is that kind of how you looked at it? Yeah, I think so, too, given what you said. Um, coming off the layoff, going to be fresh. Has always pretty much shown speed. The thing that was kind of weird was that last race didn't have blinkers, right? So yes. that's kind of a little bit of wild card for me, but it still showed speed without it. So I think it probably will. You know, and um, I think for me, too, with a, with a race like that Empire Classic, it makes you wonder a little bit, you know, because the horse has been gone for so long, Typically, when I see something like that, where you see a running line where the horse is either forwardly placed or just doesn't show up whatsoever and then doesn't run again until here we are in in July of 2020 and he ran in the middle of October, I'm going to, I feel like it's a twofold piece. Either A, the horse got hurt and he needed some time off and, and B, in reality, maybe just the right situation didn't present itself for whatever was in the condition book. If they didn't want to run against open company, if they were specifically looking for a spot like this, or maybe the horse just needed this much time to really get back for the connections to feel confident that he's going to fire. Having said that, there are a number of gaps as far as the workout tab is concerned. But I think when push comes to shove, the way that you and I are kind of looking at a horse like this, you got to go. And, and he'll at least, whether you like him or not, he'll be a, a factor in the race. Right. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And yeah, although there's there's some gaps in there, the the works of late have been uh, pretty good. Yep. So so I'm, I, I actually like the horse, um, you know, overall. But but yeah, there's a lot of questions with the speed and how it's going to go. And actually, right to his outside is kind of a wild card to me with uh, Winston's chance, typically not for the place, but then we have Kendrick Carmouche put on. <laughs> and given how it ran that last race, I'm like, ah. So I just, you know, I'm concerned about that one pushing the one. Uh, but then, of course, you've got the also, you've got four Foolish Ghosts. You've got number nine, Big Mountain. Yep. And I think they're all in the mix to go, especially Foolish Ghost, uh, coming off the six and seven furlong looking looking pretty good i think that one's that one i'm hoping will take money honestly with uh with jose on board who's been who's been running great lately um but i'm just looking at that more of eh, 
kind of cheap speed to me at yep. a mile. I, I I just don't think it's you know going to be cut out. But again, a pace factor that's going to compromise the one, in my opinion. Well, and to your point with Foolish Ghost, I mean, this is a horse who, yes, he did win at the N1X ranks back in October of last year, but it feels like his home has been sort of in the state-bred $25,000 claiming level. And, and stepping up to the N2, they only tried that one other time to date at this point, and it was to no avail, showed speed and faded. So kind of to your point... You, you know, especially if it's a horse that you're not thrilled with, if you see someone like Jose Ortiz take the mount, that can kind of work to your advantage because people are going to see the name and, and you would assume there'll be some money bet just simply because Jose is there. So if you don't like the horse, that just kind of helps everybody out. Yeah, yeah, exactly, because he was on board last time and put up a big number. So mm-hmm. um, uh, so that's a play against for me. Um, and then, uh, yeah, Big Mountain, kind of a similar thing, up and down form. That last race at Aqueduct, I mean, uh, you know, I actually went back and I watched that race. And, it, you know, it seemed like it was fast fractions at the time. But then, I, you know, looking at time form, it didn't really come off like that. Mm-hmm. And, and he really backed up. The other one he dueled with didn't back up quite like that. So, again, to me, I think in more kind of a cheap speed type sure. in, in this in this spot anyway. Going out for Robitross first time, again, coming off of a bit of a layoff, you would assume the horse probably going to be a little bit keyed up, a little bit fresh. You combine that with the other speed that is seemingly signed on, and again, we've seen it in New York. Occasionally, things don't go as planned, or the way that it looks anyway on paper, but I think to the overall point, I, I kind of agree. It seems like there are a number of horses that want to be forwardly placed, and I don't know that there are any, I don't want to say that there aren't any confirmed proper speed types that will put others away because there are you know most of these horses that have shown that speed have won in gate to wire fashion but i don't look at any one of them and think oh well they're just you know the class of the field i think the horses that seem to make a little bit more sense as far as overall ability are concerned are the ones that aren't necessarily going to be involved in that pace duel up front whether it is the horse on the outside whether it is the coupled entry with twisted tom and i love jackson or some types like that Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. Very true. Yeah, so so that that's the speed that I'm looking at. And then uh, to your point, you still want to be forwardly placed, you know, in general. And and I guess that's where, <clears throat> excuse me, I really like the 11 mm-hmm. uh, in that sense. To me, our last buck, I mean, the form, you know, he's got the, that's one thing with all these other ones. It seemed like it was up and down, this and that, and the other one. This one, the form is there, right? He's definitely coming into his own now. You can see that. I looked at, as far as getting the trip, I see, you know, that other speed's going to go. He can just sit right back off, you know, just a length or two back off of the speed. To me, looking like he could pounce, you know, when the speed dies, and uh, he'll be my top choice. Um, ever since the switch to the blinkers and 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 um, Franco, it, I mean, it's been pretty good, albeit stepping up now. But I, it's just to me, it's too much with uh, the trip he's going to get, the form he's in. He, he looks to be the one for me. You know, you go back to you bring. I'm glad you brought up the blinkers piece specifically because this was a barn change. The horse went from George Weaver's barn, who just won the Met Mile with Vacoma, goes into Michelle Nevin's barn. The equipment change happens. And, and so often you see that, I mean, this is not a young horse, this is a six-year-old, but you just had a complete form reversal, and sometimes that's all it takes, is just a little equipment change, whatever the case may be, changing barns, 
and I love that you brought up the tactical ability. I mean, this is a horse. Go to that run three starts back going six furlongs on the muddy seal track at Aqueduct. Rallied from well off of it and nearly got all the money. Then comes back, stretching out a little bit, can be a little bit closer to the pace, but is not a horse that is dependent or need the lead type. But right. that outside draw, you know, I, I've long maintained I would rather have clean run than try to get too cute in behind horses, try to find a seam. And I get it. The shortest way around the track is the rail. I mean, there's a reason that people want to be inside and all this other stuff. And I'm only talking about dirt racing, not specifically turf, because we understand you want to get horses to relax and get them pocketed up and all that. But with a horse like one last buck, or our last buck, I should say, second off the bench, you brought it up. The horse is in great form. Yes, stepping up in class, but with the way the horse has performed in the past couple runs, you know... To me, you get to a certain point, Andy Byer wrote about it in one of the books, I don't remember which one it was, but when all you used to have to go by before speed figures was class, you know, okay, I I can understand a little bit of the trepidation, but then when you introduce a figure to the race and you say, point blank, the horse ran, I'm making it up, 15, 20 points faster than his contemporaries do in a spot like this, I don't care what the class is, the horse is just better. Plain and simple, yeah. and I think that could be the case here with our last buck. Yeah, yeah, I do too. I mean, these others have been in, uh, to your point, higher class. You know, at times they kind of drift back and forth between stakes, this and and that, and uh, and their form is just kind of all over the place, honestly, in a lot of them. So that's that's another big reason why I like him because I feel like okay, I know what he's he's doing. I feel like I can trust him in this spot. The other ones, there's a lot of question. I mean, you. We can go through some of the other ones as far as Twisted Tom. I mean, he's all over the place. Blue scrat, Smile. I mean, to me, they all you can make a case for him. You mm-hmm. know, you certainly can say, oh, yeah, he's got a winning race uh, somewhere back in the form. But what are you going to get in, in today's race? It, it's kind of a crapshoot. Well, and that's the thing. Form goes so far with these types. And I'm guilty of it probably as much as anyone, if not more, of looking at a horse and saying, well, yeah, but four starts back, that race is good enough to win. Well, the problem is it was four starts ago. And, you know, you have to factor in. It's a it's a double-edged sword. The most recent running line, I can understand that it gets overbet where people look at it and they say, well, this must be what the horse is. I can also see the other side of the coin where it's a matter of, well, you know what? I mean, if everybody was judging the most recent thing that they did, that would be a very, very difficult sort of life to live when you know you have a body of work suggesting that they're probably something different. I, I kind of see that case as well. Having said that, it all comes down to price. And if you're telling me that I'm taking a horse that if I need to rely on back class and I'm looking at a two-to-one shot, mm, I don't I don't know that I'm necessarily running into the windows with that type. Conversely, you have a horse like the outside runner here with our last buck who you have the recency. Yeah, okay, it's probably going to be a little bit of a shorter price, but the class situation doesn't bother me. I know the horse is in good form and from a number standpoint has run every bit, if not faster, than many of the contemporaries. And I think you can make the case, like you say, with the Twisted Tom and I Love Jackson, not only because they're a coupled entry, but they have running lines in the past that would suggest that they are fast enough to win a race like this. They go out for drawing away stable. They typically like to bet their horses. But I don't know that they're right now in the same sort of form that our last buck is. And if they're going to be comparable prices, I don't care that I'm going to get two for the price of one. Tactically and the form and the numbers, I agree with you. I would lean much more toward the outside as opposed to uh, any horse, but specifically this coupled entry here. 
Yeah, yeah, that couple entry was, to me, Twisted Tom. Uh, I mean, I know he's been up against it, against Mr. Buff and in, in some of his instances where he then looked bad. But but even when he was, looked, you know, had some of his good races, it just, just, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit of age, you know. It doesn't seem like he quite has it um, to me. Uh, the I Love Jackson. Initially, I was okay. I, I was thinking I would like this horse. Linda Rice has been uh, doing very well recently. Mm-hmm. Um, again, one that could get a good trip. So that was well. My initial thought was I think it could stalk, get a good trip. I went back and I watched some of the races. Like, just visually wasn't you know wasn't thrilled by it. Sure. And then the fact it really hadn't been going up with any of these type of fractions. You know, like I think we're going to get you know code red fraction yep seemingly maybe would set up for a horse like this but i think maybe that will actually put him farther behind than he typically is we'll have to rally farther and i i don't i just don't see that happening and that's that's another sort of handicapping piece that you can you can really dive into is and i perhaps i fell you know victim of it this past weekend in the met i I was chatting with ernie munich down there on the rail right probably three minutes before post and we both you know, we would both like Mr. Freeze. There were a number of other people that liked Mr. Freeze. But Ernie said something to me, and it's it's 100% true. There's a difference with a horse. Let's just using Mr. Freeze, but I think it, it relates to I Love Jackson as well. When you're used to horses doing something based on the company that you're keeping. So Mr. Freeze was taking on inferior company. It's one thing against lesser when you look them in the eye and they stop and you keep going. When you take on better horses or the pace is a little bit different and you're sitting there and all of a sudden you go, wait a minute, they're not going away. That's when you can kind of break a horse and it can end up being a situation where they're just not going to run to what they had been, what their sort of numbers would suggest. And with a horse like I Love Jackson, there's a difference between being close to moderate fractions against potentially inferior and now chasing what's probably going to be a faster pace and not only a faster pace, but better quality in front of you, boy, that's a, that's a tall order. I'm not suggesting the horse can't win to your point, but from a a number standpoint, knowing the horse is going to take a little bit of money, that would be part of my fear with a horse. Like I love Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. It'll be interesting to see what the, uh, what the odds end up being on that couple. If they both go, because they're both pretty good, right. In general. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, they take some money, and uh, maybe that helps the price on the 11. So this is, again, the second week that we'll be doing this. We'll call it the Friday feature. Todd Van Dree is the lucky winner of the first round, and let's just get it on the record. Your selection in this race, in fact, is the outside runner, our last buck? Yes, that'll be my top choice. Um, if I was going for some trifecta action, I really do like the one. Even I think his class... Even when he, even when he's got pushed before, he still hangs in. Look for the improvement. You know, a four-year-old debut. I'll be playing him second, and then I can put a bunch of other ones for third. <laughs> <laughs> trying to catch a price somewhere. Yeah, trying to catch a price. That that blues blues cat smile. The five. Uh, probably throw the entry in there. Duke point. He's got a shot at you know clunking mm-hmm. up there too. Um, given how I think the pace is gonna go. I don't think I want to have much of the other speed to hang on for third. I'm looking for someone else to clunk out for third. Very good. So our last buck for Todd Van Dree here in race eight at Belmont on Friday. Now, if you're getting involved, and again, you got to post it 
beneath the video player on YouTube. If for some reason you like the entry, I'm not going to allow you to take both. you got to pick one or the other. You either pick I Love Jackson or you pick Twisted Tom. And if the other horse wins, I can't help you. You didn't pick that one. <laughs> I get it. You get two for the price of one from a pair of mutual standpoint. For this standpoint, you got to make a stand and pick one or the other. Todd, thank you so much for the time. I hope this horse runs well because I see all the reasoning. I thought it was very good sort of logic the way that you laid it out where this is a horse that is in good form, should work out a good trip from the outside. I think Manny is riding as well as anyone and we'll see if this whole thing works out. If the horse wins, your hat is right back in the ring for next Monday, and, and hopefully we can see this thing kind of evolve and continue on going forward. But being the first guest, uh, I can't thank you enough uh, for the time, and, and thanks for coming on and kind of sharing with us a little bit of the way that you go through and look at the races. Yeah, thanks, Matt. This was awesome. Yeah, hopefully maybe you and I will just have a standing Monday call. You know, that's cool. <laughs> we'll set it up. We'll, we'll just block out that noontime hour where we can go through and chop up the races yeah. to come for the upcoming week. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> awesome. Todd, thank thanks. you very much for the time, and best of luck this week and going forward as well. I'm sure we'll touch base again at some time soon. All right. Thanks. Thank See you. you. Thank you again to Todd Van Dree for hopping on. It's it's not a if you don't do this on a daily basis, and, and that was something that I spoke about with, with Todd after uh, we recorded that. It, it's one thing to handicap; it's another thing to talk about it a lot, and, and you can talk about it with your friends, but it's definitely a unique uh, perspective to have to do it sort of in a more public forum and, and you know it's like anything else the more you do it the better you get with it but um, it's definitely not the easiest thing and I thought Todd handled it very well and I'm sure whoever wins this week maybe it's Todd maybe it's someone else I'm sure just roll with it chop it up the way that you think the race needs to be chopped up and we can go back and forth and spitball but it's definitely not the easiest thing but I I know you know again Todd is, is case in point. He did a great job coming on for something that you're not really accustomed to doing. Thought he did great, and I'm sure everyone else will do great as well. And keep in mind, if you do win and you don't necessarily want to be on camera, uh, we can do the Zoom call, but just do it as far as only audio. Um, again, it, it's all in the eye of the beholder. If you're not comfortable with certain things, we won't do certain things. So um, thanks again to Todd, and good luck to all of you this week that play. Please, the more the merrier. The more people that get involved with this thing, the better off it is. You have to have your official entry beneath the video player on YouTube. Now, let's get into In the Money Off the Board this week, and then we'll wrap things up with a little bit of Q&A. In the Money Off the Board, for those of you that may have missed the past couple shows or whatever the case may be, the idea is it can be a horse, it can be a person, it can be a track, it can be any number of things. In the money is typically good, and it's a bit of a pun as far as the company is concerned in the money media. And off the board, obviously not so good. Not great. You'd like to hit the board, cash tickets, the whole nine. So for me this week, I'm actually going to start with the off the board piece because the in the money for me is going to be, I think it, it's, well, rather than just keep explaining it, let's just dive into it. Off the board for me this week is McKinsey. And I say this because... It's not as though the horse ran terribly. You know, I'm going to go through, pull up the chart here for the Met Mile. Vacoma wins very impressively, goes out there, sets the pace. I know maybe that interior split, he got away with murder, but he's a good horse. And I'm glad that this is what they're doing with him. They're kind of keeping him at the one turn. Sounds like they're going to point for the four go up at Saratoga. The, you know, the interesting thing is he's already won two winning your ins. This one here for the big-ass fans, Dirt Mile at Keeneland, and also the Breeders' Cup Sprint. 
based on his victory in the Carter. I, you know, if it were me, I would want to keep the horse going shorter. Put it this way. I'd, I'd rather keep him going one turn as opposed to two. So the dirt mile mm, sounds great, and maybe his speed is just more dangerous at that point, but I would prefer him personally uh, coming from just off the pace going six furlongs. We'll see what the connections choose to do. The forego, obviously, at Saratoga is going to be seven-eighths of a mile. So we'll see what happens there. I digress. This piece here is about McKinsey. And it's the beautiful thing about handicapping and speed figures. Because based on the raw time, or the raw figure from Timeform US for McKinsey in his triple bend, it looked like he was back to the same old McKinsey. The buyer was definitely on the lighter side. He didn't even crack 100 in that race in the triple bend. And when you look and see the field that he defeated, and you couple it with the fact that the only real horse, and I shouldn't say only real horse, but I, I'm hopeful that you all understand what I'm saying. The only real sort of graded two, grade one caliber fringe type in that field was Flagstaff, and he had a miserable trip. You know, a little bit underwhelming for me, anyway, going into the Met. And I said, he can win, but at a short price, I don't need him. This race, to me, he just seemed flat. And he was only beaten, what? Two and a half lengths for all the money. But to me, this did not seem like the same old McKinsey. And if you're on the same page that I am, this now becomes three straight races where he has been less than spectacular. The Saudi Cup was certainly a disaster. He comes back in the triple bend. Yes, he wins, but workmanlike at best. And then here, he was just kind of flat. Now, if you want to say the racetrack wasn't in his favor, you know, I'm not going to really put up a giant stink about it, but I, that to me is kind of a cop-out for a horse that's supposed to be among the best of the best. And in theory, this is supposed to be a configuration that he's better suited for, the one-turn sort of setup. I, I'm not giving up on him entirely, but he's the kind of horse to me that there is now opportunity to take advantage of a shorter price in whatever race he shows up in next and I can look at it and say, you know what? I think he's trending the wrong direction. And perhaps, if nothing else, he's just sort of a takeout equalizer where if he goes off at 5-2 to two in whatever race he shows up in next, let's say it's the Pacific Classic, let's say it's one of these other races, I can look at him and say, I'm not terrified of him. If I can pitch a 2.5 to 1 shot, all of a sudden everyone else's value becomes inherently greater just because I don't think he's necessarily the same horse that he that he once was. Uh, and maybe he'll prove me wrong. And, and let me know if you agree or disagree beneath the video player or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. I just, I thought he was flat. I didn't think it was a great effort from him. I thought the rest of the field, I thought it was a, a very curious tactical decision with Warriors Charge. And I'd be curious if it was flow or if he was just riding to instruction. I, I mean, I'm of the opinion that, that Warriors Charge wouldn't pass a parked car. And that doesn't mean that he's not a talented racehorse, but you need to at least, you, you got to know what you're working with. And for him to be in a position where I thought the only way he could win was if they rode the hair off him out of the gate to clear off. Now, if they do that, does Vacoma and Javier, do they just willingly, you know, concede the lead? Or does that turn into a bit of a duel? And then perhaps we have a different situation play out. Neither here nor there. It didn't work, or it didn't play out that way. But I thought it was a curious move. And again, I don't know if it was Brad Cox. I don't know if, if it was Flo looking at it saying, this is a beautiful position. Under normal circumstances, I'd agree 100%. I, 
I just didn't think, I don't think the horse is going to pass anyone. And that's always going to be the downfall for me with a horse like Warriors Charge. Network effect, I think he's a cool horse. He's a Florida bred for Chad. I thought he ran well. Good enough effort. I don't think he's a superstar. I really like him in the Carter. He got his doors blown off by Vacoma. He loses here to Vacoma. By the way, that Carter looks better and better. These two horses run so well out of it. We saw Forenze Fire come back and win a graded stake two weeks ago. So uh, circle that Carter. Anybody else that has or hasn't run through it, plan accordingly. Uh, Code of Honor, again, maybe the pace situation ended up compromising him a little bit, but you know that to me is a little bit of a cop out. I thought he had every opportunity if he was good enough, and he just couldn't get there. He ran fine. Maybe you get him to a longer distance that'll help his cause. I thought he ran just fine. You know, uh, inoffensive third in a spot like this. Mister Freeze, the horse that I liked, I thought he was the the good alternative to the top three, and he just got outrun early. And perhaps it's a situation where he just he eyeballed these other horses, and when they were going that much faster early on, and they weren't stopping. That can be the sort of smack-in-the-face moment of like, okay, this is the difference between the grade two company and the grade one big boys and girls. So we'll see what happens there. Endorsed, I would have liked him to be into the run a little bit earlier in Hog Creek Hustle. You know, it is what it is. He was probably overmatched to begin with in a spot like this. So off the board for me this week, though, coming out of this race is McKinsey. I think he's trending the wrong direction. And, you know, again, at a short number, he's a horse that I'll be against in his next spot. Now, on the flip side, and this is going to be maybe a little bit of a Captain Obvious. And it's also going to be one that you can open up for debate. In the money for me this week is a horse who I brought up a few weeks ago. And he made his second lifetime start on Saturday against three other horses. It was a graded stakes race in name only, in my opinion. But Uncle Chuck, to me, is in the money. And Uncle Chuck presents... He, to me, becomes sort of the poster boy or the poster child of what the 2020 Kentucky Derby could potentially look like and the way that we all look back on it because this is a horse that was not ready if the race was going to be run when it's supposed to be run for Saturday in May. This is a horse that under no circumstances is going to be ready to go for that. With the race now being run the first Saturday in September, you get this horse a bit of a later, for whatever reason, it took him a little while to get the races. He breaks his maiden, that most recent start, and does so rather impressively, and Mike Smith was quoted after the race saying he reminded of, Amer- of Arrogate. And I said, eh, you know, let's, maybe, who knows. But it, look, Mike rode Arrogate, and he rode Uncle Chuck in the debut. Nobody knows better than him. And then I see this race here, and and look, I, frankly, I don't think Thousand Words is a very good horse. At, at the elite level, anyway. But the way that Uncle Chuck got through this test I it, to me I'm all in I'm buying all the stock that you've got to offer on Uncle Chuck and maybe it seems a little bit funky because he was on his left lead for the second consecutive start for that final 16th of a mile here he's got a little bit of a funny way of moving I'll tell you what you don't typically see horse he reminded me of Arrowgate watching this and the reason I say that it's not because of the speed figure or anything like that it's the way that to me he got better he got stronger as the race got longer and for him to go second start at a mile and an eighth he debuted going a mile for him to finish the way that he did and I get it he didn't run against anything as far as field size was concerned or perhaps quality he has final eighth of a mile in 1185 that's a that's a turf number that's a turf fraction and he galloped out big I'm all in on this horse 
and I'm not suggesting that I, I want to be betting him in a race like the Kentucky Derby. It, it, you know, you got to wait and see what the field looks like and what the odds are going to be. And I wouldn't be touching him. I looked at Bavada earlier. He's like 12 to 1 to win the Derby. I wouldn't bet him at that price just because we still have a ways to go and he does need to get a bit of an acid test. But it sounded like Baffert in his post-race sort of interview was saying that we saw what we needed to see for him to take the next step. I have a sneaky feeling that this horse is going to end up upstate New York here in about four weeks' time, and I got a sneaky feeling. I get it. Tis the law is going to be there. He deserves to be. He is the favorite, and he's the leader in the clubhouse. And I know somebody said I, I was not using that as the right term. I, I guess technically you're right. Leader in the clubhouse would mean that they're not going to go and perform any more, that their job is done, and they are the ones setting the pace. I get it. Technically not the right way to use the phrase, but you know what I'm getting at. Right now, as if the season ended today, Tis the Law is without question the three-year-old champion. He deserves to be the favorite in the Travers. He's going to be difficult to beat in the Travers. I'm fascinated by Uncle Chuck. To me, this race, this Los Al Derby, it did. It gave me whiffs of Arrowgate. Speed figure-wise, I don't think the race was, was you know unbelievable. He earned a 94 buyer. Uh, I think time form wise, he was in the 124 ish range. So that's now that's a different story. You're talking about perhaps a, something as high as a 105. Let me pull it up real quick here. Um, I just I was really taken by the performance, and you know that to me, finishing like that as the distances get longer, that separates you in a major major way. I've talked about the mile and a quarter races. That final quarter, if you want to use just sort of an arbitrary number of what can a horse do or not do, if horses, if you can get that final quarter mile in a mile and a quarter race, sub 26 seconds, I think you're going to be in with the chance, unless you're coming from 100 out of it. If you can be reasonably close, whether it's with tactical speed or your mid-pack, and you can get that final quarter, sub 26, you're at least in with a puncher's chance. And if you can really cook home at the end, I mean, you're going to be, especially if you've got tactical ability like this horse seemingly does, you're going to be cooking with gas. I'm all in on Uncle Chuck. I think the talent is there. I also don't think the mind is totally there just yet. You can see with a little bit of the goofiness, he broke from the gate on his left lead. He finally swapped back over down the lane. He did everything great. Popped back to that left lead for the final 16th of a mile. Galloped out very, very well. I just, I have a very funny feeling that the sky's the limit for this horse. I don't think mentally he's a completed project just yet, but the talent is immense. Let me know what you think beneath the video player about Uncle Chuck. He's my in-the-money candidate this week. Off the board, McKinsey. Oddly enough, both Baffert horses, both owned by Pegram Watson and company. Uncle Chuck to me, boy. <sighs> Very intrigued by this horse. I'm, I would be willing to bet right now, as long as he stays healthy, we're going to see him in the Travers here in a few weeks. Now, quick break, back with Q&A. We're going to get into Q&A and wrap this piece up. There are two uh, two comments that we'll we'll touch on. Before I do that, though, the only other horse that I'm really intrigued... Well, there's two. Uh, look, instilled regard, I, I love the horse. I, I, I picked him in the Derby a few years ago at 70-1. to 1. I had a big future bet on him. He ran his eyeballs out to run fourth. Since Chad's gotten him, he's clearly a turf animal. For him to kick the way that he did at the end of that Manhattan with the lack of pace signed on, old buddy... I think he's a really nice horse. I don't know if he's a Breeders' Cup type because he's kind of he feels a little bit like a tweener. I don't think he's I don't think he's got the the 
I don't think he has the big kick at a flat mile, but I also think a mile and a half is probably stretching it. So I don't know where he fits as far as that's concerned. Maybe he's not a Breeders' Cup type. Maybe you need to figure something else out with it. But he's a damn good horse. Um, and the the real horse that needs to be touched on, and I think he's probably going to be polarizing. Maybe he's finally put it all together. Maybe it was that coupled with a less than stellar field. But I don't really care who else is going to be in that race on Saturday. Tacit is buried. Buried the field in the Suburban, and he ran fast. I know the main track was playing like lightning. But from a figure standpoint, he's another one that from a buyer-wise, buyer he got 100. In time form, he got, he got something considerably faster, I want to say. Uh, as I pull it up here, as the computer is doing its business. Da -da 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 -da. Here we go. Raw time form, 127. 127, that's closer to a 107 buyer than a 100. So you're going to need to make a call as a handicapper. Which one do you believe? Visually, it looked a hell of a lot more like a 107 to me than a 100. Do with that what you will. I'd be curious to hear what other people have to think. Tacitus looked like a different animal to me on Saturday. And maybe it's just the example of a horse finally putting it all together. Maybe it's that coupled with a very uh, pedestrian field. Um, I don't know. He was awesome, though. And if that Tacitus is going to be around for the rest of the year, you got to look at him as a player in any race that he shows up in, preferably the longer the better, the mile and a quarter types. So that's that. Q&A this week. Two questions and comments. Let's start off with C.J. Andrews. C.J. Andrews. Uh, it's a bit of a, a fragment, but um, his piece is, or I should say, his or her. Also, a breakdown of maiden claimers. I've lost four weeks in a row on various multi-race wagers on the final maiden race of the day. Uh, Jerry Vinci, or Vinci, commented, I highly recommend C and O's Greatest Hits Volume 1 by Mark Kramer and Bill Olmsted. Uh, there are a couple used copies available at Amazon. It contains the best work I've ever seen on maiden claiming races, as well as great systema systematic, systematic, systemic, systematic, I can read, systematic plays for lightly race maiden special weight and allowance N1 and N2 lifetime types. Uh, first, both of you, thank you for the comments and, and going back and forth. Uh, CJ, to your point, maiden claimers to me, there are, to me, a few different angles. You, I'm always looking for the, the horses going from the maiden special to the maiden claiming. But that's kind of the Captain Obvious type. Uh, they're going to probably be overbet, whether they deserve to be overbet or not, just simply because they're going from the protected ranks to the open ranks. Or the claiming ranks, I should say. I'm always going to look for horses that have speed. Especially the lower the, the bar goes. It's one thing if you're talking about maiden 50 claimers... You know, you'll occasionally, they don't really do it anymore, but high, high price tag, 175s. But you live sort of in the maiden 40, the maiden 30, the maiden 25s. But then you really get to the low levels, the maiden 10s, the maiden 20s, maiden 12.5, depending on where you are. Speed, the lower the level gets, the more dangerous it gets to me because these are horses that have not proven that they can pass horses. I think it's especially important with horses that are proven losers. And I say that, and I don't mean it in a, in a derogatory way, but the, the idea is, I mean, if you're 0 for 15, I can't trust you. And those are horses, some horses will win at 0 for 15, but they won't have my money. So 
for to kind of your point, you've lost in a number of these races in the past. You know, a final leg of payoff, leg of whatever. To me, the class relief is, is an obvious piece. First-time starters for hot barns, obviously. Whether it's a barn that does well with first-time starters or a barn that's just rolling at the moment. You want to take another look at those. But specifically horses with speed at those lower-level maiden claiming ranks. because On dirt, especially. But it goes for turf as well. Because these other horses have not proven that they can pass runners. So what better place to be than on the engine? And if you're not on the engine, I'd like to be second or third relatively close because if that horse that's setting the pace stops I can inherit the lead uh inherit it rounding the far turn or at the top of the lane so to me those are the types that I'm always going to look for in those dirt races maiden claiming ranks give me the horses with speed that are not proven losers and perhaps are coming out of a barn that is really cooking along at the moment even if their forte is not first time starters if they're just rolling at the moment Take another look at a barn like that. That would be my advice as far as the maiden claimers are concerned. Uh, thank you for the comments. And the last one we'll touch on here for this week. Um, it's a rather lengthy one, but I can I can dissect it into a few different pieces. This is from Joe Koenig. Without going through the, the other pieces, I'll, I'll pick it up here. I'm a novice and just started watching you about a year ago. Thank goodness. Much easier to find you here on YouTube than it was on DRF. Thank you for that. Um, all kinds of questions. Please get to what you can. Number one, what do horse players mean when they talk about the chalk? The chalk is the favorite. Um, it's a, it, it, as far as I know, the term originates from way back in the day with bookies where they would write on a chalkboard with chalk. Um, the chalk is the favorite. You're talking about a horse that's odds on. Uh, your chalk can be five to two, depending on how competitive a field is. Uh, but the chalk, that term is in relation to the favorite. Uh, number two, I don't have very much time to devote to horse playing, unfortunately. Is it better to just pick one track and work on your skills that way or keep bouncing all over the place until you find one you like or you think you like? It, that's a difficult question to answer. If I were you or if I were someone new, I would probably devote most of my time to the tracks that have the most handle, that are the most heavily wagered on and the most heavily played and talked about because... If you have time for a podcast like this or any of the million other podcasts that are out there for horse racing, more often than not, they're going to focus on the big circuits, whether it's New York, Florida, Kentucky, Southern California. That's kind of, you know, I would say that's your sweet spot. And that's not to be disrespectful to our friends in Maryland or in Chicago or in Texas or in Canada or anywhere else. But those are the big circuits. I would say New York, Florida, Kentucky, Southern California. Those are the spots that most of your best riders are, your best trainers are, your best races overall are. That would be my, my sort of advice. Take a look at those circuits when they're running. So like right now, Gulfstream is still running, but this is clearly not as good a meet as you're going to see over the wintertime because most of the connections that typically winter down there from New York and other places, they're back in New York or they're in Kentucky, or they're elsewhere. So I would take a look at those, and I would just kind of follow it along. Now, New York in the winter is a, an entirely different product than it is during the summer meet at Belmont or obviously at Saratoga. Uh, Kentucky. Ellis Park is open now, but a lot of people will look, or it was, because we're getting ready for Keeneland this week, um, because it's a weird year. 
Keeneland in July. Very bizarre. Uh, but you can follow that circuit around. The other be- the other benefit or advantage that you have of following a circuit and devoting it to just one. So let's say you pick New York. You get to know tendencies. You get to know tendencies of riders. Who's a good gate rider? Who's a, who's a good finisher? Um, who's a, a, a rider that prefers to save ground versus parking wide in the clear? Uh, what trainers excel with first-time starters coming off of the claim, off the long layoff, uh, surface change, distance changes, things like that. If you're bopping all over the place and sort of just going simulcast world, that becomes very difficult to to really get a grasp, I would say, specifically for a new player. If you're a seasoned vet, you can kind of pick up things here and there and you hear these anecdotes left and right. If you're new to it, it becomes very difficult to see the tendencies and the patterns. So if you focus more on one setting, I think it becomes a little bit easier to to learn that sort of stuff. And again, when push comes to shove, I'd rather go to a track that has more handle. And I know maybe some of the opportunities aren't quite what they would be at some of the smaller tracks, but also at the smaller tracks, there's going to be less handle, which could affect the odds more dramatically when you make wagers and things like that. So I would say look initially right now at the bigger tracks, Try to get your feet wet and really try to get a grasp on what certain connections do, certain players do, uh, and go from there. And then once you have a good feel for that sort of thing, it becomes much easier to then sort of transfer those skills to different circuits. You know, what you use in New York, while it may look a little bit different in Southern California or may look a little bit different in Kentucky, it's still essentially the same sort of stuff. So that would be my advice. Focus on the biggest circuits first, preferably one of them. And if you want it to be sort of a year-round piece and you want the same connections involved, typically you're going to get the New York to Florida move and and vice versa. New York from, I'm making it up, opening day at Belmont. So call that early April. Or no, actually that would actually be early May, late April. Run right through the fall before they go to... You can even go into the winter now, but let's just say Cigar Mile in New York and then shift your attention down to Florida because that's where all those connections, their best horses, their three-year-olds, their promising runners, they're all going to be down there at Gulfstream. So that would be my two cents as far as how to kind of get a feel for that sort of thing. And please, anybody else that can sort of direct or, or not direct, but you get what I'm saying, point Joe in the right direction, feel free to fire away in the comments. Uh, let's see, number three. Same with types of track, dirt versus turf, sprint distances versus route distances, things like that. For the learning player, would you recommend looking at all of them or just starting small? I think it, it kind of, to just piggyback on that, if you are more, it's more to me important to look at a, a circuit as opposed to uh, only dirt races that are going six furlongs or less or only turf races that go 10 furlongs or greater. You'll find in time what you enjoy watching, what you enjoy handicapping, where you think you can find value. If I could only make one bet ever again and I get to pick what the race sort of style was, it would probably be either a 9 or 10 furlong turf race with 12 horses. Just if I had to cook up a a dream. Personally, actually, I would probably even stretch it out 10 to 12 furlongs, but realistically here in the States, 9 to 10 furlongs on grass with a full field, that is my... I, I'm a happy person at that point. There's probably going to be a good wagering opportunity. And just aesthetically, I I just much prefer watching grass racing than dirt racing. Dirt racing to me more often than not is who is the fastest. 
And I guess that's a very American sort of thing. I just think there are more tactics involved with grass racing, given the way that the horses run. So that's my my two cents there. Um, and let's see, uh, as far as the books and things like that are concerned, I think it's just, again, I get it. Not everybody has time. That's kind of where podcasts become valuable, where if you're doing other things, you can still be listening to it as opposed to reading. You know, reading, you need to sit down and do it. And I strongly advocate getting those books. You can see Buyer's Book right up over there. Uh, one of them, anyway. If you can read them, great. If not, there's a million podcasts out there, and many of them will dive into these sort of things, especially if you send questions to whoever's hosting them, whether it's any of the In the Money podcasts, whether it's, uh, you know, Jason Beam, whether it's, you know, you, you name it, the racing dudes, anybody else out there. Um, most of these places, if you reach out to them and ask them a question, they'll probably dive into it. So uh, those would be my suggestions. The Timeform Pacecast with uh, Craig Mokowski and David Aragona, any of this sort of stuff. These people are open to questions and things like that. If we can help you learn, we're all going to be better off. So, uh, Joe, I hope that answers a little bit of uh, the piece. Thank you for the response and the comment. Um, it's greatly appreciated. Anybody else? Questions, thoughts about horses, about handicapping, about whatever else, beneath the video player on YouTube. Uh, thank you for, for bearing with me as far as the way that this is recorded this week. The sound is a little bit different because I'm using my old webcam as opposed to my actual good camera, simply because it's a lot quicker to upload and i got to get out of here. Uh, thank you to Todd Vandree, the individual, one of the individuals anyway, who selected the winner correctly last Friday. He came on, gave you his opinions for Belmont Race 8, which is going to be the Friday feature this week. If you want to get involved and come on next Monday, doesn't have to be video. We can just do it audio only if you want. But if you're comfortable, I think video makes it a little bit more enjoyable. Make your selection beneath the video player on YouTube. If you're right, I'll contact you, and we'll do this whole thing again. Todd, good luck this week. Thank you again for coming on. Um, however you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. YouTube, search bar, Matt Burner, your show. It'll pop up. Make sure you subscribe to In The Money Media. Thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever it may be. Make sure the bell icon is lit up. That way you get a notification anytime In The Money Media uploads something new to the channel, whether it's this program, whether it's new things that are to come. We have some stuff in the works. Obviously, we've had the Horse Players Happy Hour. All sorts of different stuff over there. You make sure that bell icon is lit up. You'll get a notification uh, when something has been uploaded. If you're over on Apple Podcasts or you're on Android or you're over on InTheMoneyPodcast.com, uh, clearly that's just your audio only. But wherever you're doing this, please rate, review, and subscribe. It means a great deal to us, uh, and it helps get new creative content out there. Questions, comments, concerns on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Uh, until next week, this has been Episode 22 of the Matt Bernier Show. Good luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. Race 8 at Belmont this Friday. Leave your selections beneath the video player.